0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alexandreu. My guest today is the author and poet Sergei Lebedev, who is one of the most translated contemporary Russian novelists and has been lauded by the New York Review of Books as the best of Russia's younger generation of writers. In a 2018 interview, he was asked what he might advise people to read. He refused to give a list, If you do not live a random life, he said, the right books will find you. And so it was for me when at a dinner some years back we were discussing gulags, not a reflection on the quality of the food, I assure you, and my host left the table and returned with a copy of Sergei's first novel, Oblivion, put it in my hand and commanded, read this. His latest book, Untraceable, could not be more timely, being as it is about a chemist who creates a lethal and untraceable agent, being blighted by his own creation like a modern Dr. Frankenstein. Welcome, Sergei.
1: Good afternoon. Thank you for this invitation.
0: My pleasure. You have, in the past, described yourself as a witness as much as an author. What did you witness that compelled you to write Untraceable? Actually,
1: when I previously spoke about myself as a witness. I spoke about my experience as a geologist because quite a young, being quite a young person, I worked eight years in the remote areas of north and east of Russia and I saw the ruins of the former gulags. But uh, in relation to the untraceable, It is something different. In this case, I can say that I am witnessing how my country, my homeland, is returning to its past. I wouldn't like myself to be just a person who does nothing about it. In this case, the witness may be is in the more of a juridical sense or the legal sense. Yes, yes, yes. Was there something that made you think,
0: I need to write about this?
1: Uh, First of all, um, it's my family's history. Because during the 20th century, my family's story or history was largely formed or written by the actions of the Soviet state security. My ancestors were repressed, sent to gulags, executed, and so on. We can imagine all the possible variety of violence. And now I see that the current Russian state security is the agency or the structure definitely of the same mode, of the same capacities, of the same style as it was in the Soviet times. And I thought that it's my duty to try to expose this heritage, which is still living, which is still in use. In bloom, I would say, uh, at the moment, not just still exists. Yeah, I mean, it's actively used, I yeah. would say. And because of this, maybe the second reason was even more private. While all it happened in Salisbury... <laughs> I spotted one very important detail. Uh, Just immediately after the assassination attempt, it was reported that probably this nerve agent was developed and produced in a small closed city in Russia, which is called Shekhani. Mm -hmm. Nobody actually paid attention to this fact. We have dozens of these closed cities and so on. But for me, it was a very important signal because I knew something about the background of this place. While writing the previous novel, which is called Goose Fritz in mm-hmm. English translation, I made an extensive research about the secret military collaboration between the Soviet Russia and Germany in the late 20s. And I learned that the Shihani, this place, this facility, was uh, initially the mutual project of Germans and Soviets. Of those Germans who came to the Soviet Union just 10 years after the First World War, they came to develop the chemical warfare. The Soviets took their experience for their own goals and so on. And from this moment, I realized Wow, it's not just a story which happened now. The story has a very long shadow into the past.
0: Yeah, I, I remember I remember reading uh, Goose and thinking, how do I not know this was the case? You know, sometimes you read something and you think, the author must have made this up, because if it was true, I would have heard about it when studying European history. And yet it it is true. And it's one of those things that nobody knows about. One of the characters in Untraceable remembers his childhood, remembers when Barrier was executed, and his associates removed, and comments on the power of that word, removed, at how it obscures cause and effect. and And throughout the book, you talk about the idea that a crime leaving a trace is the beginning of justice is this why an untraceable poison is all the more menacing because it defeats the possibility of justice later
1: definitely I would say it was my idea because we can mm, we can distinguish two large periods in the history of the Soviet violence, and maybe not only the Soviet one. We have an extensive phase one, the period of the open terror. Of course, this terror was hidden, all the orders were hidden, but still, it was the mass murder with, Mm. let's say, conventional weapons, the guns, the typewriters, and the and all these murderous procedures. But later, in the face of the Cold War, when Soviet Union pretended that political murder does not exist anymore, of course they tried in the same time to develop the means or the tools or the instruments to exterminate individuals dangerous for them and to exterminate them in this clandestine secret Way hmm. and for me, really, it's even more dangerous, even more metaphysically serious, because they are playing the dangerous game with the very pillars of existence. But but the Skripal
0: poisoners, they didn't try to do that. They didn't try to disguise the poison or the fact that they were in Salisbury. And it seems to me that as in the more recent case of Navalny, you know, the latest of Putin's enemies to suffer extremely bad luck, that impunity is not in the lack of evidence, but in the lack of willingness by the international community to do anything. There's a sense almost You know when when journalists questioned Putin about Navalny, or when the Scribble poisoners were being asked questions, they almost smiled to the camera, as if to say, "I know I did it. You know I did it, but you can't do anything about it."
1: But I would say, okay, we are now in the phase three, which is different from the Soviet history, because of course the Soviets played their own rules, but now Putin is holding some some different game and they want this acts of terror to be revealed to be discussed to be I um, would say to, be, to to become the media events yeah. because they spread fear otherwise if it will be real untraceable case how will you pursue your goal to intimidate the resistance to intimidate the population, and so on. Mm. And of course, we now live in an absolutely different world. It's a digitalized world. And actually, I would say nothing can be hidden properly. We can see from Jamal Khashoggi's case and some other, let's say, uh, recent assassinations. Nothing can be hidden. But they use this for their advantage. Because it's now not only physically toxic, it's morally toxic. Because when you see these Salisbury tourists sitting, as you described, in the TV and pretending that they have been just observing the cathedral, it's a very harsh blow to the, a very understanding of the morale mm. inside the Russian and not only Russian society. And this is what they have in their minds, when they don't treat this failure is a failure.
0: So they basically they want people to know that we'll get you. They would like
1: these footprints, yeah. to be recognized, and this message to be read. Uh, I'm happy to write what I'm what I'm doing. You know. Nobody among the ranks of the opposition which are popular, and the justices and responsibility are not, because we all share in some form this responsibility. And I would say that I'm a little bit pay enough attention to this fact.
0: I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people, describe your book, compare them to John le Carré. Now, I love John le Carré, but I don't think that's a fair comparison, actually. I don't know how you feel about it. Because to me, it seems le Carré is solely interested with the psychology, the duality of someone who has no morals. Whereas you appear to me obsessed with how a person gets to the point where
1: they have no morals. Is that fair? And why is that your focus? Okay, it's it's a it's a very important question. Uh, you know, the world of spies, the world of the Cold War, as it is described and by Le Carre and some other authors, is the really bipolar world. But in between. There are always a lot of persons who will, whom will call collaborators, mm. who collaborate with the totalitarian power, who collaborate with the government, and who are both the victims of the system and the agents of the system. And I would say that the um, uh, resilience and the long lasting life of the Soviet Union, was based not on the power of its military or the um, successes of the KGB, but on this vast majority of those who were repressed by the system and at the same time involved in the system. It was based on the extensive network of the talented collaborators.
0: Who just go along with the system, basically. Yeah,
1: but this figure this shape, this idea, was not discussed in Russia at all, except only one novel, the Solzhenitsyn's novel in the first circle. It stands absolutely part of all the other writing on on this period, I would say, Mm. because he is the only person who questioned the role of the scientists, of the engineers, of the intelligentsia, who worked together with the state and helped the state to improve its own repressive capacities. Mm. And I wanted definitely to bring this topic back because I was shocked by the reaction of the Russian media, for example, during the Skripal case, then during the Navalny case, when those who invented the Novichok, We're just called in the studio, like an expert. (laughs) To say, yes, this is what we did back then. Yeah, but you cannot do such things. They are not just the scientists. They are the evildoers, in a way. Hmm. So this was my idea to, to talk about the ethics of politics, of science, and to raise this topic.
0: But, at the same time, I find your material in a way quite metaphysical. I remember reading somewhere you were talking about your grandmothers, and you were saying that there were they were so much older than you that they were almost like ancient monuments to you uh, as well as people and I think i I see this in your work as well there there is a sort of thesis that a nation's history imprints itself on people like genetic material you know but does that give bad people who do bad things a sort of it wasn't me it was all predetermined defense at what point do we become active moral agents and have the authority to say no I will not do this especially if you're living in a repressive regime
1: I wouldn't say that we should become the moral agents, but in the same time we should mention and discuss some controversial things. One of my grandmothers, my paternal grandmother, she was the only survivor from the very big family with the noble origin, with the origin of the priesthood, at least 15 or 20 of her direct ancestors and relatives were repressed Mm. by the state security, which was guided by the Lenin and his ideas and so on. But later, after the war, she was the editor of the Lenin's full volume of works. (laughs) And she herself was editing. She was a technical editor. She was editing his speeches, which ignited hatred, which literally convinced people to death and her relatives among them. I cannot blame her for this. But I would definitely like these positions and these cases to be brought to the light, to be discussed, to, to, be, to become an exemplary thing, mm. because you should understand that something is wrong here.
0: Yeah. is there? Do you think that as multinational corporations get bigger and bigger and they become in a way more powerful than nations there is a similar moral duty on people who work for companies that do bad things to look for alternative employment, to say something, to resist?
1: Okay, I would say the whistleblower whistleblower is a universal figure. And the big corporations are also involved in a very... In a very let's say dangerous or morally like controversial things, I can say it is a as an a as an a because you clearly see that there are a lot of points where the commercial interests prevail upon the moral moral issues and I don't think that it's it's a huge difference to be the journalist to be the writer or to be the you know. Uh, the manager in the in the corporation or the chemist, we all share one moral ground and we should stay on it. Are you
0: already working on your next project? And if it's not in too much of a protected bubble, can you tell me something about it?
1: Uh you know, uh yes I'm just just now working on the new novel, but I have a sort of <laughs> crazy Russian superstition. I don't. tell. Yes,
0: no. I understand it. That's why I said, if it's not in a bubble,
1: I, you can. I tell. No, but I it's don't in don't a bubble. Anything before the first draft is ready,
0: like uh, pregnant, like pregnant women have to wait for three months, right? Before they, <laughs> before they tell anyone. <laughs>
1: yeah. So it it will be definitely Russia's history, modern days, and the present, and the and the days of the past. Because it's very important for me not to write just you know classical historical novels. Everything is go- is happening some in the past. yeah, I always try to link it with the modernity. Yeah, but probably soon we'll will have this new text.
0: Good. Sergey, our half hour has flown by. Thank yeah. you for your time.
1: Thank you for your time. yeah, definitely. Thank
0: you for your writing. As Dostoevsky wrote, people with new ideas, people with the faintest capacity for saying something new are extremely few in number. Extraordinarily so, in fact. Sergei Lebedev's book, Untraceable, is out now. And listeners, remember there's a new Bunker Daily on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday mornings. You'll start the week supplement on Mondays and a longer weekly episode featuring a full panel every Tuesday. So don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate us. And you may also consider supporting us on the funding platform Patreon, where you can search for the bunker podcast. This is Alexandreo in the bunker saying over and out. The Bunker Daily was presented by Alexandre. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelma Sofranievich. And audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.